Welcome to the Sales Career Leveling Podcast. Each show is dedicated to the sales professionals that are driven to advance their professional sales careers. Whether that be growing in their sales, management, or leadership roles, or climbing any part of the sales org chart. Each week, we'll be discussing sales, sales management, and sales executive leadership topics, as well as the sales career advancement, best and worst practices we should all be aware of. (laughs) All right, so Arnie, welcome to the Sales Career Leveling Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, I guess as as a way of getting started, gosh, I hate that. I listen to this one podcast and he always starts it off with, as a way of getting started, tell us a bit about yourself. <laughs> so a little, uh, uh, was it hat tip to uh, that other sales focused podcast that everybody listens to, but as a way of getting started, <laughs> tell us about yourself. Sure, Michael. Thank you for having me here. So I am a sales executive with an extensive career in sales and sales technology, uh, working in different industries and different geos, and just looking for my next career challenge. Awesome. So you and I actually connected um, some time ago and reconnected recently because of the job search. And um, we we had a great conversation and we'll get to that definitely. What I'd like to start off with is, how did you even get into sales in the first place? Ah, well, that's a good question, Michael. It takes me back in the day. My first job, I was, I think, 10 years old, and I was selling newspapers in uh, my old town, my very little old town, and and I learned a lot from that job. Um, uh, But from there, probably my first kind of like real job, I also was like door-to-door selling cheap Chinese products when, you know, back in the, I was still in my teens. Yeah. So I think I was learning the very basics of sales. After that, I, I had jobs such as inside sales, account executive. So that, that got me into this passion that, and because I really believe sales is an art and a science. Yeah. And, and, and I, I love this, man. Absolutely. It's, it's not one or the other, but Definitely both. Um, and, and you've got to understand both sides of that to, to be at least moderately successful in, in, the, in, in sales. You would actually, you and I actually nearly, well, actually we did cross paths in our sales careers. Um, I was at Gartner and I was selling you know, IT research and consulting services and a bit of the, the software decision drivers that they have. Um, and, and I was there for about five years, I believe, starting in 2000. And you actually started there in 2003. I don't think we ever met when you were there. Um, yes. Tell me about yes. your time with Gartner and, and I guess the roles that you were in. Great. You know, I had a great time at Gartner. It was one of my very initial jobs. I started as an inside sales executive for a Latin America team That's, well, that was back in 2003. And it was a great platform, a great catapult to learn about a sales process, to learn about the value proposition. And as an inside sales, you know, numbers are very important. So the number of dials and yeah. the databases and how do you build relationships? So I had a great time there. Uh, a couple of years later, I was promoted to um, support two, t- two field account executives in the Midwest 
um, and, and also it was, you know, supporting enterprise accounts like Best Buy and Target and uh, Sears and, you know, a bunch of other, you know, um, Wells Fargo and other banks. So right I had on. a great run at Gardner, um, learning about how to craft a good value proposition for clients. You know, selling intangibles is not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a second run at Gardner uh, where I rejoined the company a few years ago and I helped them craft the sales enablement practice for the research board. And that was also a great, great learning experience as well. Wow. So on the sales enablement side, what, what exactly were, were you doing there with Gartner? So basically, it, it, the research board um, pretty much works with the high-ranking executive from, from the largest companies in the world. So being effective and efficient as, a, as an account executive to reach to this type of, uh, of, of uh, executives is not that easy. And, 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 you know, so basically designing the training curricula, um, welcoming the new salespeople and showing them about the value proposition for research board, uh, using data and analytics to help salespeople identify better opportunities, use, you know, uh, just helping to be more successful. That was some of the things that we, we built at the research board. Right on. And, and so you were there for two stints. Your first was for about four years and then your second for about a year and a half. Yes. What were you doing in between that? I, I thought you took a very interesting turn there. Yes. Um, well, you know, my second time at Gardner, I, I met with a, a lot of, uh, you know, old friends and, and, and people uh, that I have been there for 10, 15, some of them maybe 20 years. Yeah. And, and, and it's great. They're doing great. Some of them are really, you know, progressing. Some of them are like uh, doing the same. It's like, hey, man, there is a world out there too. Yeah. So my opportunity became when after Gardner, I worked for a company called Next Level, where uh, Carlos Blanco was, you know, one of my mentors. Next Level was working on helping technology vendors to design the strategies and execute on, on uh, campaigns and activities to develop sales through channel partners. So it was a great university for me. I worked with him, with him about a couple of years. After that, a British company acquired his company. Mm. And then I saw the opportunity to establish my own practice, salsa marketing practice in Mexico. So I moved back to Mexico. I started my own business, uh, supporting like, these tech vendors for Latin America. Two months into starting my business, I, I uh, closed on Google. That was my first client. And then, you know, all the other you things, went Microsoft, big. Cisco. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this, the, the thing of these big technology vendors is, is like big monsters with, with square wheels. It's big problems, but also they have big budgets. So yeah. they, they, they can use any help they, they get. Interesting. Well, uh, I'm curious. At, at the moment that you close on Google, what did your team look like? How, how many individuals did you have on, on the team? Curious. At that time, three months into the job, it was just my partner and I. So okay. I was the one wearing different hats from yeah. payroll in HR, hiring new people for to, to, um, to support the projects and painting the walls of the new office, you know, like anything that <laughs> any new CEO has to do. Yeah. So as we grew, um, we worked to a team of almost uh, 100 people in about of two years, uh, getting close to a million dollars in revenue. So it was a great run, but yes, when I was with Google and I got that contract signed, it was just two people in the company and I was very, very happy. That's awesome. <laughs> so the reason I ask is, as you mentioned, 
as, as the leader of the organization or as only one of two individuals in the organization, you're the one that's doing those sales. So it's not like you, you, you take off that hat, you hand it off to someone else. You were, you were conducting that sales process. And, and I'm curious, how do you break into an account like Google? Good question, Michael. So basically there is a book um, um, by an ex-IBM uh, executive that wrote How to Back the Elephant. And, and the book talks about pretty much on, on, on how you, do you target these really big accounts. Yeah. When, I was, when I was working at Miller-Hyman Group, I learned a lot of uh, sales process and different sales methodologies, blue sheets, green sheets. They also have a course that I have, I have delivered also on, on large account management process. So how do you target these executives? How do you know um, and by, by, by data and, 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 and with some tools that you are always targeting and reaching the right decision makers. Mm -hmm. If you just have just one contact with one person, you are in the red. You are taking a high risk of losing that account or never being, never being able to close that account. Yes. So establishing, identifying who are the decision makers, who are the influencers, who can you partner with so to be your champion and show you around the organization. Those yeah. are the, the, the key things to get you finally to, to the team that is gonna make the decision. And then, and then you've got to have the right messaging and even messaging sequence in place so as to ensure when you actually do make contact that they're immediately seeing the authority that you bring, the, the value that your, your product, your service, your organization brings. So all of that has to be in line. And, and uh, to get that much in line in three months is, uh, must have been a monumental task. But congratulations on that. That's awesome. Michael, on that, let me add something. I'm talking about 10 years ago when that happened or more than that. But today we have so many tools available. Mm. You know, if you are not digital, if you are not social selling, yep. you are missing the point. You're, you're really missing on some of the important tools on how to penetrate and get into this account. There is on LinkedIn something called social selling index. It's pretty much like, like your credit report. If you don't have a high social selling index, that, that tells exactly how do you utilize these tools in terms of your network, how do you um, write you know, uh, tools and, and, and content that your network is gonna see and, and, and all, all, how do you utilize the different tools on social media so you become a personality, you become a trusted advisor yeah. and then people start reaching out to you for that. Oh man, I remember that, that, uh, that, that phrase from way back in, in the fall of 2000, the uh, trusted advisor. We got, <laughs> it's we got, true. They got put in our brains day in and day out over at at, uh, at Gartner. So you, you find yourself today, and this is one of the reasons why we reconnected, but today you're in the middle of a, of a new job search. Help me to understand what happened at your most recent role. Yes, so um, I think one of the, of the things that we are facing today, Michael, is you know, we're facing a, a global pandemic that is pretty much uh, impacting every single person today. And, and one of the things that I found that is working very well for me is like every morning you have to have the right level of motivation, the right level of, of uh, the mindset in the right place. Um, so I read a book recently that I just uh, purchased last week. Uh, and I really write, like to recommend it to anybody that is listening to anybody that is, is, is you know, doing their, their job search right now. And the book is called Leading 
through the pandemic, unconventional wisdom from heartfelt leaders. These are about 20 or 30 stories from executives from all levels. Two of them are, are, are personal friends of mine, you know, Tina Gravel, um, Amy, Amy Pittman. And the beauty of this is that they pour their hearts and they become really vulnerable to share their experience on, on what is happening and how losing your job can impact pretty much anybody. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do with your performance. It has nothing to do with the years of experience that you may that you have and the value that you can bring with, with your organization. So yes, 2020 was you know pretty much a, a difficult year for everyone. Yeah. I was working for a, a marketing agency mm -hmm. that you know pretty much a small organization, and right at the beginning of the pandemic, they had to lay off a number of people. Uh, a few months later, I found a job with a software as a service company in the marketing automation area space, mm -hmm. reporting to Wall Street, coming the new year, uh, getting really hit hard by the, by the pandemic, and they have to let go of about 30 people. So I was impacted as well. But okay. I think that the beauty of this, Michael, is being able to be vulnerable, to be transparent to what is happening, to be human. We all are human. And, and what is, this is this. The, the big learning for me is that we are not alone. There's yeah. other people, uh, you know, across walls and their own, you know, cameras and, and laptops that are going through the same same situation that, that we are going. And, and, and one of the things that when you and I talked before that really hit me is the to be effective in this job search is how are you going to be able to stand out mm. among, among all the crowd? If you are, you give me the great example. If you are in the stadium with 80,000 people and everybody's screaming, how, am I, what are the things that I'm going to do to stand out? Mm -hmm. Sending a personal message, following up, you know, uh, diligently and, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a good manner with every application that you make, being very specific, and just you know, be showing showing what you have to offer for that organization is is, is something something that is working well for me. Yeah, yeah. You 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 mentioned that, and last year was horrible. It was it was a terrible year, even for my own business. I, I made the move of of leaving a, a leadership role in a very large organization at the end of 2019. I thought it was a great time, and. Uh, and then we all got surprised by a pandemic. But you mentioned standing out in a crowd. The struggle that many individuals have had is, let's say they're highly qualified for a position and they apply for a position that, that makes sense for where they're at and what they do. And that is not enough to simply apply you have to demonstrate very quickly on the two documents uh, or, or marketing documents that precede you in a application or, or, or in a job search. And that is your resume and your LinkedIn profile. And those two documents need to demonstrate very quickly, very concisely, the value that you bring the experience that you're bringing to that specific organization and that specific role. And even that, because there are so many individuals applying for these positions right now, even that sometimes is not enough because there's so much white noise in the market right now. If you have a hundred people applying for a position every single day, 
even if you're highly qualified and you're the right person for the position, it's still going to be very difficult to secure a callback and then, and then go through the entire interview process. Because again, at, at some points of, of 2020, as an example of the amount of, uh, of adversity that individuals that are in a job search are, are finding or encountering, there was a million people per week applying for unemployment. And, and those numbers would have been higher, but so many of these state um, uh, uh, websites for unemployment were, were down. We're not even working, yes. So, <laughs> I was there. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's a difficult situation. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah, standing yeah. out is, is, is very important and doing, doing so in a, in a good way. Another so. thing on that, Michael, if, if I may add that standing, another way to stand out in, in something that is working really, really well for me is work with your network. Have your network help you. Have your network, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. I'm amazed by, especially today, how people are so willing to lend you a hand to say, hey, I'll be more than happy to send your resume to the HR. Or if you apply for a job, <clears throat> make, make sure that you put my name uh, as a reference. You know, all of that, it, it really works very well. Yeah. Um, I had, and yes, there's so many people. I had a response from one of the recruiters a few days ago. I applied for a position about three weeks ago. Didn't hear from them. And about a few days ago, they said, we got about a thousand applications. Yeah. And yours stood out a little. So how about if you send us a 90 second video telling us a little bit about yourself, your experience. So there's like many, many creative ways that now recruiters yeah. are, are, are using to filter and, and search for the people that they need. Yeah, certainly. So I'm curious, you've been in job search mode for a short period of time. What are you seeing or, or maybe what have you done that, that hasn't worked in your job search today? I think um, one of the things that, that doesn't work is just on, pretty much on the same point, just applying to every opportunity or every position just because it's a sales position, I'm gonna apply and especially on LinkedIn that gives you the ability to, to do the easy apply where you just hit the button and you're applying automatically. I, I don't think that's a good you know, um, uh, use of, of your time. Remember, your t this is like a job. Your time is limited. You have to be strategic about it. Yeah. If you have six hours, eight hours in the day that you're doing, you're working for your job, you need to identify what are your greatest opportunities to stand out. So, and the other thing is, you know, being, uh, be very generic, being a generalist, I can do anything you want me to do. That doesn't work either. It's a fine line because you don't want to absolutely narrow and, 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 you know, corner yourself in a very specific area. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you have to show the key differentiators, your competitive edge that is going to stand out for that particular job. Yep. Yeah. So you've, you've covered also not only what isn't working and I've got opinions on that easy apply. I tell you what, but, but also what is working and going beyond that easy apply button the, the easy apply button, I believe, was created. It was created by companies. It was created by, uh, by Indeed. It, it was implemented by uh, or adopted by LinkedIn and CareerBuilder and all of these sites. And it gives you a false sense of accomplishment. In other words, if you go out to Indeed and you apply for 100 jobs, you feel like you've, you've done something. <laughs> and unfortunately... As you just mentioned, there are many examples of 
recruiters that are posting a job and then being inundated, flooded by a sea of applicants in a matter of hours and days. And the, the, the easy apply button only serves one of the players in this equation where you have a job seeker or an applicant, you have a company that posted a position and you have the job board like Indeed um, or, or LinkedIn, let's say. Yeah. And it serves only the job board. It is a tool basically that somebody at Indeed can use to say, hey, Mr. Client, we sent you for that job. We sent you 1,500 applicants. Look how awesome that is. And when I was on the inside in corporate, my response was always, that's not what I want. It, when I still had the option, I would turn off the easy apply because I needed individuals to actually read about the opportunity to self-select out. And that's just as important as self-selecting in. And, and Michael, also it requires a great deal of introspection to really know what are you good at, to really go back to your history and your job experience and, 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 and find those things that you excel, things that you're passionate about. Because then in the interviews, is that, that's exactly the things that are gonna come out and, yep. and that's very visible for the recruiters. Yep. When you, when you mentioned the looking back at your experience, one of the keys to being successful in a job search or even just tracking what you've actually done at an organization, there, there are many best practices and, and, and far too many worst practices. Some of the best practices are every three months, simply document what, or, or monthly, if you're actually that driven to remember what it is that you actually did in a role, not what you were asked to do. So you need to move away from the duties and responsibilities and listing that in a, in a LinkedIn profile or on a resume and, and move more towards actual accomplishments, the things that you actually did. And documenting those as often as possible. So you don't have to then, when you're in job search mode, three years from now, think, what did I do in 2020, 2021? What did I do back in 2000? And, and that's a very difficult thing to, to accomplish when you're 10 years into the future and, and 10 years yeah. removed from your actual accomplishments. And then thinking about who your audience is when you're having conversations Yes. With an employer, are you speaking to a hiring manager that is a sales manager, a sales director, a, a regional vice president of sales, or somebody that is in the C-suite? Because that, let's say we, we have just one accomplishment. You grew your territory by 23% year over year in 2019. Well, you can use that and, and talk about what is most important to those different levels within the organization. And they're very different. You don't just talk about how you grew because th there are different aspects to that that are important to different people, depending on where they are within the company. And, and what's important to them is more often than not determined by how they're compensated in their compensation plan. So absolutely. That's a great point, Michael. Um, what I can share on that is that it has served me so well, and that was one of the tips that I got from you, that you really need to adapt, be able to adapt your talking points to the 
person that you're talking to. So again, this is this is in sales. If if I'm talking to the recruiter, that's that's the first step in the process. So you have to think always what is the next step. My goal is to get a second interview. So things that really resonate with the recruiters, which they many times I have asked questions about the, the particular job, and they have a very gen, general idea. So they yeah. care about the most important basic things. If you're in sales, it's like the number of calls. How do you build a pipeline? How do you prospect? How what kind of creative ways you use to to build a pipeline? That's yeah. the things that they care. But if you advance in the interview process and then you are, let's say, in your third or fourth interview and you're talking to the VP of sales or the chief revenue officer, yep. they, they, if you talk, they don't care so much about how many calls you do a day. Yep. They're going to care about your success in the sales quota, how, how, by what percentage you overachieve the sales quota, what was the level of profitability or margins in your sales? Because if you sell that you're losing money, they don't care. Exactly. If you talk about, you know, um, uh, annual percentage growth or compound annual growth, uh, those are the numbers and the things that, that resonate with them. Have you managed P&L statements and things like that? So you have to adapt. Who are you talking to? And mm-hmm. be able, you will be more successful. Certainly. I have found, and these are just obviously overgeneralizations. The individuals that are in HR and recruiting are more interested in or, or typically focused on asking about the the activities that you were engaged in that led to success and looking for linkages between the activities that you were engaged in, the activities that you should be engaged in to be successful in this position that I'm talking to you about today. And then when you're speaking to um, individual contributors and sales managers, they're typically more interested in how did you increase revenue in your last job? And as you go up the food chain, it starts to become more and more important um, to to directors, VPs, uh, CROs, uh, individuals in the C-suite. They're they're more interested in the bottom line numbers. So top line, interested in bottom line. It's that inverse relationship that most people don't think about. Again, they, they stop at the point when they've created an accomplishment on their resume and then share that in the same manner, regardless of who they're speaking with. I grew my territory by 73% in revenue. Yeah, but was it healthy revenue? Yes. What was your effect on customer acquisition cost? Correct. Did, your, did you bring in higher gross profit margins or were you selling skinny deals where there was no gross, gross profit margin? Sure, you might've brought in a million dollar deal, but if it's costing us a million dollars to sell that, we're not really making any progress. So yeah, those, those intricacies are very important in a job search. Yes, I agree. So uh, now that I, I know you're, you're, you're actively pursuing new opportunities, I know you've got interviews in the pipeline and, and you're engaging with your network and you're engaging with individuals at organizations that you apply to. Um, but if, if, if you had that magic power to build a role that makes sense for you, what would that role look like for you? Um, great question, Michael. I think as I've done this um, introspection and search of, of what is that I've done, what is that the things that, that helped me to stand out and what is that I, I'm going next? Um, I, I truly believe, and especially not to sound political, but after yesterday's, you know, the, the, with the, the, the new administration, I, I am convinced that we are about to witness 
the greatest comeback in our economy in, in, in modern history. Mm -hmm. So, and you can see it also on the numbers of job postings today versus probably six months ago. People are desperate to build their teams, their sales teams and their sales organizations and make them ready for what is coming at, at them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and many times it's who has the ability to hit first, to be there first rather than the competition. So I think, you know, the, the, a lot of organizations are looking to, I think there is a lot of people looking for jobs right now. There is a pool of candidates, but the key differentiator is how do I make sure that the people that I hire is the right talent? And then what do I do with that talent? How do I ensure that, I, that I'm going to make them successful, that I'm going to give them and provide them the right training and tools to make them successful and have an edge in terms of their effectiveness in, in, in quotas and sales. So I'm looking for my next challenge in that area. I am passionate about training. I'm passionate about mentoring people, utilizing my experience in sales and closing deals and, and, and moving deals over the pipeline yep. and, and, and having those kind of negotiations and, and mentoring and helping junior salespeople to, to achieve that level. So Yeah. Well, you've had the, the background that, I mean, just speaking honestly, it can be very intimidating to a hiring manager to hire somebody that was a vice president of sales enablement <laughs> at a multi-billion dollar organization and somebody that actually founded a company that has titles in his or her background that, that read director. And so I, I get that part of it, but there's also you've done it and you have the experience of selling of leading while selling and you know the experience in sales enablement so I, I i appreciate the value that you bring to one of those positions i do hope that sales let, let's say the the hiring managers that you encounter that interview you are not intimidated and see the value that you bring to that world of, of sales enablement. And, and I mean, it's, it's a big word, but it's basically working with individual contributors to get more deals, healthier deals across the line. Yes. Yes. I agree with that, Michael, you know, or different organizations have different nomenclature for, for the titles. Uh, I believe personally that at the end titles don't mean that much, you know, in Garner, there's a bunch of VPs and RVPs. Man, everybody's a VP these days. <laughs> everybody's a VP, that's right. So it can, it can for sure be intimidating for probably a smaller or mid-sized organization in terms of that. But when you are able to present the value that you bring to the table, regardless of, you know, your education or your titles that you had before, and, and most importantly, is it a cultural fit? Does this cult cultural environment of the company fits with my values and what I believe, or do I have something in my culture and my beliefs and my values that I can bring and add value to that organization if they are yeah. growing mode or they're still in search of, of crafting that culture. I see a lot of startups and I mentor a few of them that are completely looking to what is what do we want our culture to be because culture at the end is, is one key determinator that, that is going to help to retain people, to mm -hmm. help the company grow. 
So again, you know, going back to the titles, for me, titles don't, doesn't mean much. It's just about, is there yeah. a cultural fit between the organization and myself? That is, that is more important than anything. Absolutely. And, and to argue against your point, I would say <laughs> cultural fit is important, but addition to culture is, is I think, just as vital. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, anything else you'd like to add? Michael, I really enjoyed this conversation. I am yeah. really grateful for all the tips and help that you've been provided, your support. And I really, really wish, you know, anybody that is out there um, in, in the news search, you know, look for me on, on, on LinkedIn, uh, Arnie Perez, and I'll be more than happy to connect. And I, I wish you the best for this year. Excellent, man. It was great speaking with you. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining us on the Sales Career Leveling Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and if you would be so kind, share this podcast with a fellow sales professional. If you are a sales professional and would like to connect, have a guest, and or topic suggestion, please find Chris Stinson and Michael G. Cox on LinkedIn or email careerleveling at gmail.com.